Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Um, thanks again for everybody so far who has helped me with the month of January. We are still looking for uh, support to further this effort that is V Radio. Um, I actually managed to score a lot of shows all on the same day, you know, basically responding to the request that you guys had. Uh, coming up this month, we have um, obviously this show. It will be with activist Danny Shine. Uh, Doug Millette will be back on the 17th to discuss his current projects, including cybernated farm systems and kind of a lecture circuit he's going on to many different countries. Uh, Michael Shanklin will be returning to V-Radio to finish our discussion about anarcho-capitalism versus resource-based economics methodologies. And on the 24th, Ben Stewart, uh, the filmmaker for Chimatica Esoteric Agenda, will be on to discuss his new TV show uh, that should be coming up here soon. So that's just what I have so far. I have a bunch more feelers out, a lot more irons in the fire, so to speak. If this is your first time listening to V-Radio, check out my website, v-radio.org. There you can find in the archives more shows like this one, other interviews with the current guest, as well as many other guests, activists, documentary filmmakers, scientists, politicians, the few good ones, and a lot of really great roundtable discussions about current events that are of concern to activists. There's also my must-see TV list, which is a list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet that I think are critical to understanding the state of our world. So with all of that station identification out of the way, Danny Shine, welcome again to V-Radio. Hello. (laughs) So, Danny, um, you've been on V-Radio a couple times before, and uh, generally we discuss just what's going on with you as an activist. I've always enjoyed your videos. Um... I guess at this point, I wanted to ask you kind of as an update to the listeners and to your fans, um, what's been going on with you lately, like since the last time we talked, you know, if any, is it uh, any, whether life-changing or just uh, even just humorous moments that have happened to you as an activist in the past year or so? Yes, firstly, I I, I don't know where you got this idea that I'm an activist from. Where did you get that idea from? (laughs) Okay, well, what would you prefer to be called? Um, uh, what would I prefer to be called? Um, I don't know, really. Uh, maybe artivist, if I have to be called something. Um, artivism, a social experimentalist, that's what I've changed my name of my channel to. I kind of see what I do as just an ongoing stream of social experiments, which is, uh, yeah, so that, that I prefer that. All right, then. Well... A social experimenter, among other things. Um, <laughs> how has your experiment been going? I guess I will put it that way. Yeah, lots of great experiments. Um, lots of ideas for more. Um, because I, I think that we're in a we're in a big experiment at the moment. You know, uh, we're being experimented with, and we're the guinea pigs. So uh, it's just a different type of experiment that I do. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been having lots and lots of fun, um, some tricky bits and learning lots on the way and having to change my mind about things the whole time and having to admit that I'm wrong and having to keep realizing that I don't really know what I'm talking about um, if push comes to shove. And then some things perhaps I do, I don't know. Um, and um, I've just, uh, a few months ago, I was taken to court um, for 
annoying someone uh sorry no what, what I, uh, no no actually sorry for disobeying for disobedience i was paying the court for disobedience which is more, um to, you know it's it's uh but they've got a, a bylaw in westminster that uh if somebody uh, is annoyed by somebody else making any type of sound including singing without amplification um and tells them to stop anyone member of the public tells that person to stop and they carry on um then they um they've committed an offense and it can be taken to court and fined up to 500 pounds and i was taken on two counts of this this heinous crime um and i at the time i sort of fell into challenging the law because i had a, a, a barrister friend with me um, so the first time I was in court, I said, you know, I want to challenge this law because it's not, it's not even in, in accordance with your own ridiculous system. Um, and uh, they said, oh, we'll have to put that off for another day. And so they put it <laughs> off, you know, to make sure that both sides have got a chance to look and do hundreds of hours worth of, of legal work so they can get lots of money for it and, you know, scour over whether this law is a good law when it's obvious it's not a good law. Yeah, a law that says somebody can tell someone else to stop doing something annoying, yeah, or get fined is not a good law. It does, doesn't need to take, uh, you know, a bunch of experts. You can ask a five-year-old that one. Um, so uh, anyway, so so it was um, it was put off, and and they they basically my my kind of conspiratorial mind uh, says that what they did was they chose a really obnoxious judge. He was horrible, and um, and he was very clever. So what he did was uh, we we had we we prepared this whole reason why this law should be amended, and uh, he didn't want to have to rule on it because either way he'd be losing. If he'd have ruled against us, we'd have taken it to the high court, and if he'd have ruled uh, or, or to the next level of challenge appeal, and if he'd have ruled for the council, uh, he would have had to explain himself, and we'd have uh, sorry if he'd have ruled for me, then the council would have would have appealed it. And the council, the one that provided him with, with his bread and butter. So what he did was he put the guy in the stand from the, uh, the guy from the council and uh, he knew the guy was going to get confused because they changed, they changed the charge. I won't go into the details. And I, I did the questioning. It was quite good fun. And he just <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> you don't happen to have video of this, do you? Unfortunately not. I mean, of course, you know, they don't want us to, they're not, we're not allowed to film or tape what goes on in a courtroom. And, and, you know, I say hats off to them. I mean, I, if I was running the court system, I wouldn't want anyone to know what I was really up to. Right. <laughs> well, that's, so, yeah, definitely. Continue. So, uh, yeah, so, so after a while, it was like it was meant to be a whole day long. And so half day, uh, the, the judge says, oh, no, you know, says this is ridiculous. We, we, this, is, uh, this is unreliable evidence, which is a way of saying... The guy's a liar, right? Mm -hmm. and, and says, right, dismiss the case, and we're not going to look at the legality of the law itself because we can't for some strange reason, that, which, again, wasn't logical, but he was, he was off to play his golf. He wasn't having any of it. So uh, they dismissed the case, and, uh, you know, whatever. I, I really have been thinking a lot. I never get down to a lot of things, but I'm thinking a lot to, to take this guy to court, to take to take this guy and claim against the guy from the uh, from the council, although he you know he's, he was almost I don't I dare dare I say he he'd been so he's just not one of these guys that has been so badly kind of suppressed and uh, conditioned that it was almost as if he was he wasn't aware of what he was doing really he thought he was doing a good job.
so basically, I, I have a feeling that um, uh, oh, who is the person you were annoying? I guess would be the question. Like, well, that that, part of it? That, that's a good point. You see, that, that, what what happened was. I, I was allegedly annoying. It was it was all corporate people from corporations, you know, from McDonald's or whatever, because I'd stand outside McDonald's and make fun of them, and uh, you know, so they would call the the council, and then the council come along, and, and when they actually sort of charged me with this heinous crime, they claimed that I'd annoyed these people from these corporations, yeah, but they couldn't get any of them to court. Mm-hmm. So and, and it, because they couldn't get into court, then they couldn't. We couldn't like find out well, what exactly was annoying. Was it what I was saying, or was it was a megaphone, right? So instead, they changed the charge without with kind of. I didn't know they'd done this. They kind of informed me, but in a way that they knew I wouldn't really click clock onto. Right. They changed the charge to his being annoyed, right? As a council worker, because mm-hmm. this is what they do. They they basically it's a game. You know, I don't need to tell you this. It's a game, sure. and there it's completely lack of morality. There's no ethics and morals in it. You know, if they can win, then they'll use any trick. So they so they changed the charge at the last minute, and uh, but then but then I think they set him up because all the evidence that he'd written down six months earlier was about how McDonald's were upset, and now he was trying to explain that he was upset which clashed with his evidence. So he, made, he was made to look a complete fool. So basically, it just sounds to me like um, uh, some people who happen to have the wealth to influence the legal system in one fashion or another uh, clashed with you. Um, yeah. It, that's, you know, it's interesting, as you pointed out, it is all a game. And I've, I've talked about my own experiences with the legal system here in the United States on more than one occasion. And it definitely is a business. Um, yeah. And it, for example, I generally end up re- representing myself, and the entire yeah. system is kind of geared to not do that. Like you go in there yeah. and you ask the clerks for the proper quote unquote forms, and then they look at you like there's something wrong with you. Like why don't you have a lawyer doing this? You know, I, you know, I must say, I must say to be fair, to be fair to the system here, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, although I think it is based on the foundations of deep deception. Um, I must say that uh, my experience um, representing myself was actually quite good. Um, and that might be because I'm kind of, uh, I sound and look like, uh, you know, <laughs> middle class and in the same class as, as the lawyers, right? Uh, Whatever that means, right? So, so, and they were actually really helpful toward to me because I was representing myself, to be fair. Well, that's good. No, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm glad that they did that much. I mean, did you dress up like the rest of them do? In those? <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't quite dress up. I did dress up in a nice fancy shirt, but I didn't. I didn't dress up all in black. I should have. That would have been quite funny. With a suit and a tie and all that yeah. other jazz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, with the kind of work that you do, um, that kind of, at least in my experience, kind of. It's like breaking the edge of the walls that people have kind of built up around their psyche, you know, right. that you you touch on the edge of those things. And I think that, you know, that's something that I like to do as well. I think that what you do uh, follows a different rule, and I'm going to forget who said this rule, but the rule was basically make them laugh as you tell them the truth, otherwise they'll kill you. Right. <laughs> you know, and, and it, there's definitely a lot of truth to that. I mean, like John yeah. Stewart you know, has a much easier time oh, of getting great. people, you know, exposed. I haven't seen him recently, but yeah, he's yeah. great. 
and he's you know and it definitely gets into people's heads a little easier um and i think that you know the work that you do tends to kind of um it makes people uncomfortable but it's not because you're violating any like you know of the you know anything that that should make them uncomfortable it makes them uncomfortable because you're kind of stretching their delusions a little bit in a way that you know you know it's like man right. pretend everything is okay <laughs> right right it's like the sign everything is okay yeah uh, so I guess uh, now you obviously you end up in situations like that, you know, uh, with the law. And um, have you ever had any act, you know, people that you've touched like come to you and say, "Thank you, Danny, for this thing that you've shown me." Like, you know, overreact positively, you know. And, and sorry, like, say that. Say that again. Sorry, I was just distracted. Say that again. No problem. Have you ever had anybody respond to your work by saying, "Thank you for what you're doing"? You know, you've You've changed my outlook positively, you know, um, come, like maybe they, you know, come back to you after you've done one of these public demonstrations. Uh, oh, yeah, many times. I mean, only yesterday I put a film up outside London. It was School of Arts London. Um, uh, it's, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, it's called something like Performance of the School of Arts London. And uh, one of the, I don't know whether she's a staff member, sounds like she might have been, um, came up and just thanked me uh, for what I was doing, and she's doing work on a public performance in, you know, performance in public spaces. So there's that. I get emails from people. I've had a woman say <laughs> a few months ago, a woman say it's the best day of her life, <laughs> which worries me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> right. But um, yeah, loads and loads of positive feedback. Absolutely steep. You know, almost every time I go out, I get positive feedback. Um, I have been accused recently by one particular police officer for, of, of not putting enough positive police stuff up. And, and, and to a certain extent, he's right. He's a very intelligent guy. Um, and uh, so I'm looking at to, to trying to do that. Although, to be honest with you, the number of really positive discussions and intelligent discussions I have with police officers are very, very few. Um, to clarify, because the sound was a little messed up, basically you're saying you've had people suggest to you that you should put up more positive interactions with police officers, and yeah. you know, and you've been honestly trying to do so, just not having a lot of luck. Yeah, yeah. Can you think of? Uh, I mean, I guess you know, since there's so few of them, it should be easier to to think about that or have you had any positive recent interactions with the police um well as i say there's one guy he's he, he works for the british transport police i've just a film about them they're they're a private police force that work within the uk um who are paid almost 95 percent of their salaries paid by the railway private railway companies so they're basically a private police force using the criminal courts to enforce bylaws which are completely ridiculous so they the bylaws completely clash with basic human rights whatever that means um and they're policing it um so you know so for example you can't bring alcohol onto their premises if they say so so if they want to sell alcohol and be the only ones to sell alcohol you're, you're breaking a bylaw just by bringing alcohol in your closed suitcase right and the right. police the police could get you for that and charge, you know, put you through the courts for that as a crime. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> man, there's right. so many dumb things like that that, it, you know, oh, man. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, um, 
so yeah, this particular guy works for them. Um, very intelligent young guy. He's only been in it for a few months. Um, we have really good conversations. Um, we do come up against, you know, barriers at certain stages, but he's very intelligent and he, he kind of watches my stuff and he, he critiques it in a, in a positive, you know, constructive way, um, accusing me of being a propagandist, which is, you know, fair enough. I probably am, whatever that means. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that's that, that, but that's pretty much it. You know, the rest of it, they've been trained, you know, training is a way of getting a whole group of people to think the same thing. And, you know, whether it's policemen or, um, you know, people who work for Nike or people who, you know, or social, uh, services, people or anybody that all, or anyone that's been through the same training, that's what it is. Training means you're, you train them to think and behave in a predictable fashion. And that's what I experience, um, in general with the police. Um, and there are aspects of the way they've been trained to think, which I personally find a little bit disturbing. Well, right, and that's they react to anybody who's you know kind of quote unquote disturbing the peace. I've always liked that one. You know, it's uh, you know you're basically interfering. It's it's kind of hard to put a, a perfect finger on to isolate, but pretty much, you know, they're you know they're enforcers of the status quo, and I mean you see it more than just even with police. I mean, police are definitely empowered to do it. I would say that the the private citizens who end up kind of going out of their way to be rude or, you know, engage in whatever kind of bullying that they have to to keep people in line are, are also very disturbing. You know, right. uh, and, and they've basically been, I mean, to be fair to them, they've been conditioned to think that that's, you know, part of what you do as a good member of quote-unquote society. Um, they don't, and when you disturb that, obviously, you know, you're, you know, then they become offended and then, and they all kind of gang up on it. I've seen this actually in a lot of social orders, particularly if they have some kind of hierarchy, uh, people will enforce that hierarchy. They will enforce that idea and they definitely become very upset if anybody is not, you know, subject to it. Like, right. Uh, you know, if you if they discover somebody who really doesn't care that they say, well, hey, you better do what we say or you're not yeah. going to be popular, you know, they really hate people like that. And they go out of their way to discredit and destroy them. And, I, you know, I kind of hearken it back to some kind of, you know, herd mentality that people are exploiting, you know, that people perhaps in hunter-gatherer societies, you know, getting kicked out of the pack was a good way to die. So they kind of exploit uh, the fear that we might have of being rejected and then therefore not being able to take care of ourselves anymore, you know. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, people recognize that, and because we're humans and not animals, they can uh, essentially understand how to control it, manipulate it to their own benefit. Right. And people like us who essentially speak out about that are public enemy number one. And it's not because we're hurting anybody. It's because essentially we're threatening their ability to maintain authority. You know, right. that's... I guess, you know, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I found that again, I, I've been doing it. I've been doing these things sort of that recently. I've sort of, I've found new venues. So I've found working outside these railway stations are very interesting because the railways are privately owned. They've got these private police force called the British transport police and it's public space. It's not really the railway. They legally call it the railway. And, and 
I, you know, a, a really lovely police officer comes up to me, works for the British Transport Police, and asks me what I'm doing. But eventually, when there's a big crowd there and I'm asking him difficult questions in front of the crowd, he resorts to reporting me. Right. You know, which is just because he, he, you know, it can't, he can't cope with the idea of, of my challenging his authority. He, he really believes he has to do this for the sake of society. Otherwise, it's all going to fall apart. Right. That's yeah. They and then they kind of that. That's the whole essentially the, the the status theology that you know that these people feel that they have to do this to protect us all from you know going yeah. random throughout the streets killing everybody. You know, it's, yeah. it's this huge straw man. You know, uh, that that gets developed basically to say you know you need uh, you know you need these police to prevent everybody from doing that. And I think that you know to some degree there is you know you have to pay a certain de- you know degree of respect to understanding how people behave in under certain circumstances to make sure make sure that you're safe you know i don't think we could just turn off all of the stops yet yeah. i think mankind has to evolve first and that's i think honestly kind of what the work that people like you you know and charlie and you know some of the other people do is essentially to kind of move us towards that evolution when can we get right. to the point that we recognize that we don't need these these uh these chains essentially that we build for ourselves you know it's right. part of human evolution but i think a large part of it is is getting people thinking about it you know like um many anarchists adhere to the concept of the non-aggression principle and i and i say no i totally get that and i understand what you're doing and i respect it but just saying hey let's all be nice to each other without really Evaluating what creates the behavior in the first place is, you know, right. that the negative behavior is not enough. <laughs> right. You right. know, um, and that's I think. I mean, beyond that, also is that uh, the the non-status chains of authority that can be created, um, like you know, in the Occupy movement, we were supposedly a completely horizontal movement, and for the most part, um, that was that was definitely the case. But if you do not, if you're not conscious of the way that people can take power and authority in a group. You know, it, it, they don't even have to be granted that power by any state authorities. Just somebody who knows how to manipulate people, right. who's the right level of charismatic, the right level of assertive, will be absolutely in control of a given group. You know, right. and I think that's a that's another awakening that has to happen. And I think one of the things you end up finding is, is unfortunately, some of the more you can usually kind of identify them. They're the ones that are anti-status, but they're very militant and angry about it. Right. You know, and what I tend to say when I when I meet people like that is, you know, be be wary of those who want to remove the people in charge because sometimes they want the job themselves. Right. <laughs> you know, like the Russian Revolution was uh, a bunch of people who was supposedly wanted to overthrow the evil, you know, uh, czarist government, and then they replaced it with something that, you know, depending on who you ask, was probably just as bad, if not worse. Right. You know, right. and I, I guess. Um, it, Overall, though, um, I have seen some improvement. You know, I think society is starting to to change in that direction. You know, there are more people now that that think like that than there were before, but there definitely are still these remnants. And I see it particularly in my children because my daughter, for example, she's only eight years old, but she's already running into problems because she associates with whom she wishes. She doesn't give in to social pressures and... Right. You know, at this stage, the children are so young that they don't really resort to violence quite as often as they do when they're a little older. So instead, the girls are just kind of confused, like they don't know how to handle my daughter. You know, they don't understand. You know, it's like, wait a minute, she doesn't care that we don't like her. What are we going to do? You know, <laughs> we can't control her, you know. Um, and, and as a result, I mean, I've had to I've already kind of seen the writing on the wall that my daughter's going to have to be able to defend herself as the future evolves. But um, 
so I've got her in martial arts classes. But uh, overall, though, I, you know, I've noticed that people like my daughter are becoming more common as as things move forward. That you know, the new generations, more and more of those people are coming forward. You also kind of see it in addition with the fact that I've noticed is that smart people are not targeted quite as much as they used to be. You know, when I was a kid growing up, using big words was something to get beat up for. Um, you know, and nowadays, you know, it's the, the quote-unquote nerd culture is even something that's quote-unquote in style within certain groups. So right. I think we're getting somewhere. I guess, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I was thinking actually today um, about my children and going to school and I, I, I really do, it, it troubles me a lot and I kind of, I didn't get involved in where they went to school because I just didn't want to even think about them going to school really. Um, and um, I was just thinking today that, we, we you know, I, I went to see a Holocaust survivor. I'd never met him before. It was the most fascinating experience. He lives in this sort of... Um, his house is, looks like a museum from the 1940s or 50s. It looks like a set. You know, you'd have to pay a lot of money to get like a film set. Mm-hmm. And um, I was on the way there. I was talking to my, my seven-year-old son um, about whether it's a good idea to do what you're told at all times. And, you know, he, eventually I got him to say, well, no. I, so I got him. I tried to sort of coax him out, an answer out of him. And he, he said eventually no. And then I thought to myself that in schools, um, they're not encouraging kids to speak out against, you know, if, if they see immoral behavior on behalf of the people who tell them what to do. Right. You know, um, which, which is, I think, surely that's how it all started in, in Nazi Germany. Um, and, and I thought, you know, I think that's really disturbing. And I, I'd like to go around to schools and um, sort of train kids um, to to speak out and maybe to play some games with them. You know, I, I've done that before. Actually, I went to a college um, and um, they didn't know exactly much about what I do. And I started like speaking really rudely to them mm-hmm. like, at the beginning of the class and telling them off. And telling, I was a guest speaker and I was speaking really badly to them and just seeing what they do about it. And they didn't do much, you know. They didn't really stand up and say, hey, you can't speak to us like that. Right. You know, they allowed me to do it. And so I fancy going around schools and playing games with them and saying, hey, guys, wake up. Don't allow, you know, if someone speaks to you in the wrong way, then tell them. Well, yeah, we're definitely conditioned, especially if you're under the right, you know, position. Well, this man's a guest speaker. Obviously, he must have the right to talk to us like this. (laughs) Right. You know, um, definitely... uh, I think that kind of plays into another aspect that I think of our psyches that people kind of uh, exploit when they control people. I mean, like, if you've ever seen Bill O'Reilly from Fox News, you know, if he has a guest on or something that he's trying to discredit, he'll get really loud and, you know, offensive. And right. It won't really necessarily be a whole lot of content right. of any intellectual value in what he's saying, yet people who are uninitiated will think, well, gee, Bill O'Reilly won that debate. Yeah, you know, right. even if he didn't really say anything, you know, um, you, you see this frequently, and I think that that kind of plays back into the whole people exploiting the pack politics to say, you know, well, man, that guy seems like a dominant alpha male. I better, you know, duck my head around that guy because, you know, I don't want to, you know, deal with him targeting me next. So, um, 
and I, it basically I, I think that some of these uh, they're very good at that and and you tend to find that it's uh, people of that type can really get a lot of sway you know that's I think another thing that kind of gives me a window into this is that I just because of where I work I don't really have any choice Fox News is on all day and <laughs> you watch the this the round the clock um, never-ending relentless assault um, as they plant you know ideas in people's heads about yeah. the poor you know plant ideas in people's heads about you know Obamacare you know and Obama right. and you know and the the weird little subtle manipulations that they do, you know, like absent any conspiracy theories about 9-11, for example, they have really jumped on and milked this Benghazi thing. Like they don't shut up about it. They won't stop right. talking about it. It's this big, terrible thing, you know, but and I, I went back and looked at the quote unquote original 9-11 attacks and. I looked at the various things that even the totally legit sources, like the 9/11 Commission, came up with. Like Condoleezza Rice was, you know, uh, kind of hid the idea, fact that there was a PDB that said, "Yeah, Bin Laden determined to strike the United States, uh, plans right. to hijack airplanes." You know, if, and it occurred to me if that was Hillary Clinton who had made such a mistake, then we'd be hearing about it every day. And instead, right. you don't hear about it at all. And then I watched as the the dialogue slowly changed. And now when they say the September 11th attacks or they say the 9-11 attacks, they're talking about Benghazi and they don't talk about uh, 9-11-2001 at all. So like they've right. pretty much just kind of superimposed one 9-11 attack for another and kind of removed the other one from the, the, the public consciousness. Um, and I also, I tend to remind people because there are obviously some of my conservative friends are really up in arms about this Benghazi thing because they've been progr programmed to do so. Right. And, I, and I have to just point out the basic mathematics. I'm like, you guys have been talking about Benghazi now for a year. You know, George Bush said not to tolerate any form of outrageous conspiracy theories. And then you stopped talking about 9-11 right. and moved on to talk about the war, you know, immediately. And anybody who dared say anything about that, even though there were hundreds more questions and thousands more victims, you know, depending on whether or not you want to count the people who died in Iraq, then it's even more right. than that. Right. You know, you guys don't want to talk about that, but you do want to talk about Benghazi where less than 100 people died and you, and you can't seem to shut up about it. You know, that's, that's just one example of the way that people pull the wool over people's eyes and, you know, and keep them thinking in the way that they want. And I kind of have another little social experiment which I call the coffee club. I don't know how it is in the UK, but um, for whatever reason in the United States, you'll get really group, uh, large groups of, of older people who sit together and drink coffee every day in a given restaurant. And most of them end up being, especially where I live, very conservative. So you just kind of listen right. to them echo chamber everything that's up on right. the TV screen. you know, And you try to discuss with them the reality of the situation and you they get really offended like it's a very right. quick way to get them to disengage their brains and start engaging their their need to to, to attack you um i just kind of gave up on that because you know they're they're all regular customers and there's no point in me you know angering my boss but right. <laughs> you know um what is that like as far as in the united kingdom i mean do you guys have an equivalent for that you know is there is there a fox news in the united kingdom <laughs> Well, they're, they're, you know, to me, the whole news thing is just absolutely ridiculous. Um, right. Absolutely. I'm just, it, it, it's it, I, one of the things, you see, I, I, I've also been um, 
on in and out this idea of trying to get get funding to do things and you know i'm i'm still not sure about it because unless unless the funding was a lot um it might mean even more work than without the funding you know to do what but but um one of the ideas i'd like to have done is to create um just a whole, maybe even a whole channel called what's really going on and then just <laughs> just look at just look at everything like just under the microscope of that question you know uh, the news you know the, if you just look at the news i mean if i just look now at let's say fox news right mm-hmm Let's just go look. I'll go now. Look, I will never ever look at their website. I don't think I've ever seen it. Right? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I'll see if I can get my computer to work. It's so bloody slow. Um, no, uh, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I, so for example, just to look at the news, look at the advertisements, and just you know have that. Let's say in the middle of the screen, you'd have the news, and then around it, you'd have maybe different people, and uh, including myself. Um, just analysing it and saying, well, what's really going on here? Right. What are they really saying here? What are they not saying here? You know, why are they saying this? What are they trying to create here? And, and you know, for me, you say, is there anything like Fox News? It's all, it's all nonsense. The whole damn lot of it is a load of rubbish. It, really, most of it. It just really is. It's just, it, at the end of the day, it's still conditioning people. It's still saying, here, we, we can tell you what you need to think about and how you need to think. You can think, you can think the left, Ray, you can think the right way, you know, if you, you choose, but we'll tell you what to think about and how to think about it, you know. Right. So, uh, ridicule anybody who doesn't go along with it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that it's all, most of it is, is nonsense. You know, even, uh, I mean, I haven't, again, I don't, I don't really spend much time on these type of things, but I wonder if we, if you had, an, you started analysing Alex Jones's channel, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm sure there'd be some interesting sort of questions to what's really going on there as well. Yeah, I know. I've I've done actually exactly that. Um, one of the things I think beyond anything else that helped me uh, realize that I went from one extreme to another. I went from okay, all mainstream media to no mainstream media. Um, and I had kind of surrendered my my critical thinking, one of the things that helped me to recognize that and to pull myself back from it was when the Zeitgeist Movement came into conflict with Alex Jones. And one of the things that came of that was, for example, as I, you know, I watched Alex Jones and Peter Joseph talk to each other, and that was painful to listen to. And then after that concluded, Alex did a follow-up show where he said, you know, basically, he took a little piece of Zeitgeist Addendum with a guy holding his hands up and looking at the beauty of the sun and saying, it's an evil sun cult. You know, it's religious. It's terrible. It's satanic. And then, and what I found really funny about it, other than the fact that that was ridiculous, was that the guy that was saying the things about, you know, the bliss, the, the God spirit that connects us all in that particular scene was uh, Perkins, who's the guy who's like the economic hitman. And that's oh, yeah. who was talking at that moment. Well, <laughs> the problem is is that Alex then had that guy on his show next month and oh didn't talk God. about the evil sun cult anymore. You know, I'm like, yeah. this is the guy that is supposedly the proof that the zeitgeist movement's an evil sun cult. You know, he's the one who said the stuff about the God spirit and the duality, the, you know, the way that we're all connected spiritually. And, you know, that was your big thing. That was your, oh, wow. we're evil now. 
and then you had that guy on your show next month as if everybody would just forget. You know, right. and I didn't forget. And it's funny, actually, how many people were so caught up in Alex Jones, like, uh, who I pointed that out to. And they were in total denial, like big time denial. Like I had to go get the links and say, no, listen to this. <laughs> See who's talking. Now watch this interview with Alex Jones. And then I was right. talking to Peter about it. And Peter's like, not only did he do that, he put the guy in his next movie. <laughs> you right. know. So, you know, it, it's, wow. that's an example, though, it's that these people get caught up in it, and I think it tends to be, I mean, I would have to say, because I've had a lot of different uh, experiences with people who are kind of considered to be gurus in alternative media, like Stefan Molyneux, for example, of Freedom right. Aid Radio, you know, and it ends up being about money. These people who are interested in protecting their money will have a, have a tendency to uh, get really defensive um, you know, in, in any, to anybody who challenges their ideologies. Like um, when Stefan Molyneux debated Peter Joseph, you know, uh, it didn't really go very well. Peter doesn't have a lot of patience. Um, like that's literally why he has me talk to some of these people. Right. Um, he's like, and, and it didn't go very well. And, and Stefan basically launched into a series of videos following that about, you know, just attacking the zeitgeist movement about this, 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 and this. And um, he, I realized that you could never convince him of anything. He is very right. anarcho-capitalist. And even if he did believe something different, he would never say anything because his hundreds of thousands of subscribers would reject right. it. Right. You know, when I was right. in radio earlier, I did a show that was, um, I was more minarchist libertarian when I got started, free market and everything. And then I, when I changed my views, I just openly told my listeners, I said, this show is no longer going to be about what we used to talk about. I'm going to lose some of you and gain other people. Sorry about that, but I'm true to myself and I'm true to you. That's right. the way it is. And, you know, and yeah, I took a mild hit, but in the end, I think, because I still have libertarians who do not agree with everything else I say who listen to my show, you know, for some of the other content, and they didn't stop listening. And I think perhaps they did respect the, the genuine you know, sincerity of me saying, I just, I just don't feel that way anymore. I feel this way now, you know, and right. to people who it's, I mean, uh, yeah, I get donations, but I get it. Like I cap it off at a very small pittance, just enough to help me, you know, to keep the, the equipment going and, and maybe a little bit for my utilities, but nothing huge. Um, right. Some of these guys make bank and, you know, there was actually, you do really well out of it. Um, I don't know the actual statistics, but I know he's got a huge consumer, uh, a huge base, and when he gets donations, um, you know, like he gets a lot of them. In fact, there was a huge stink where this guy donated two dollars, and yeah. he posted on Facebook, you know, the the notification he got that someone donated two dollars, and then he said, you know, on Facebook he says, I don't mean to sound uh, unappreciative, but you know, and then it exploded into this huge argument on Facebook, and then he went on the radio immediately after that to to tell anybody who didn't like the way that he called out this guy who was a poor man who couldn't afford to donate right. more than two dollars. Right. You know, anybody who dared to oppose him in that viewpoint, you know, was a victim of the of their childhood. If they hadn't been spanked as children, you know, then they wouldn't <laughs> be treating him that way. Which is his like kind of answer for everything. That's you know, the Zeitgeist movement, for example, you know, anybody who believes in, in sharing and, you know, in having like a, a communal family-like lifestyle, they're, they're doing that because they didn't have a good family as a child. It's right. not because they just don't agree with his economic policies. Um, you know, and I've had, you know, 
not long ago, for example, he debated another friend of mine named Aaron Hawkins, who does a show called Storm Clouds Gathering. You might like some of his stuff. He tries to kind of be an alternative news guy. And um, they had a debate that was also very fiery because Aaron does not have a lot of patience either. And um, (laughs) and after that, like during the course of that debate, I told Aaron, actually, I had told Aaron like last year about an exchange I had with Stefan Molyneux where I had shown him a link to a documentary that's about planned obsolescence, about people making machines to fail intentionally. And Stefan, um, when I asked him, I'm like, okay, well, did you watch it? He's like, well, who wants a $100 light bulb anyway? Like, that's because that's one of, a hundred year light bulb, I'm sorry. You know, who wants that anyway? Um, That was his response. He didn't say, no, I didn't watch it. He didn't say, you know, he said, who wants, you know, he basically responded about something that was a criteria that was in the video. And so I told Aaron about it, and then it comes up in this debate. Like, he's like, well, you did watch the Plan Obsolescence video. I heard about it from Neil Kiernan. And then, you know, of course, Stefan vehemently denied it because it kind of disproved a very central principle of his free market ideology is that supposedly planned obsolescence can never exist. And so he calls me up immediately on the phone, (laughs) immediately to confront me about this, and then starts recording our phone conversation without my knowledge Right. So that he can try to get some explanation to get him out of trouble with his constituents, you know, for daring to ever, you know, watch such a documentary. So, you know, so yes, definitely, you know, when you evaluate uh, independent media, you have to be careful as well. Because I mean, it's a, to be fair to him, you know, and to anybody else, um, keeping it, you know, my experience of, of keeping an open mind um, is, is very uh, challenging. Sure. You know, I'm, 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 at the moment, I'm listening to Mark Passio quite a lot. Have you come across his work? No. Please tell me about so it. So he's really like, you know, he's, he, he's, he's challenging sort of ideas that have been, that I've been playing with for years. And, um, and it's difficult because I, it's, it's keeping on moving, you know, I'm, or, or for example, Larkin Rose. Right. Have you, have you come across oh, Larkin yeah, Rose? I've definitely dealt with him. <laughs> yeah. So so I mean I've read his book which which I think has got some very very strong arguments with but I know that there'll be some people who you know um it won't be long before someone demolishes his arguments. Right. I and mean, that, I don't know what you what do you think of his stuff? Well, you know, it's he's another uh free market anarchist. Um yeah. his part about I don't know if you watched his video of, you know, I it's legal for me to rob you. Uh, yeah. where he's explaining about how taxes work. And the funny thing is, is I've quoted that, and, and so did Storm Clouds Gathering on more than one occasion, because that's, you know, that basic concept of how it never occurs to people, how taxes came to be, yeah. you know, and all that, that, that was really good. The yeah. thing that ends up becoming a problem is when we start discussing economics, you know, and to them, you know, an absolutely free deregulated market is the only way, and anybody who does not agree with that must therefore... Right. Uh, that must therefore support violence and massive, you know, control of the state. Like you, if you're not a free market capitalist, then you must therefore be a statist. That's you know, and a, and a fascist more specifically. That's the right. false dichotomy they create. That's where we run into a problem because, you know, on the basic civil liberties, I totally agree with Larkin Rose, and I think that you know a lot of the work that he does to wake people up to the realities of how these statist constructs were created is absolutely spot on. Where we want to do a problem is that he then, he can then therefore say, if you don't support the way I think in all of its totality, 
then you must therefore be a immense diametric opposition. Like you must therefore right. be a Hitler or whatever. Um, right. Although they never use that word. That is actually something else I wanted to bring up. Um, but let me go ahead and finish. I'd like let you let you comment further on Lark and Rose. Yeah, I mean, um, I, 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 I don't know. I've, I've, I've only just finished his book, and I, I, there are there are questions that I have in general about, um, you know, about the idea of of, of of free market. Because if you look at uh, if you if you look at what's going on right now, you've got these corporations that are you know, fictional, legal, uh, uh, as a barrister was speaking to me today, a friend of mine, you know, he, uh, they're fictional legal personalities. And, you know, the film The Corporation, I think, was very apt in describing them as psychopathic personalities. Sure. Um, and, and, you know, and so what's to stop that happening in a completely free market? I don't know. Mm. Um so yeah, I have lots of questions for it, but I, I uh, and um, I, I guess I'm, I'm waiting for. I, I do think that the that the idea about taxation. It seems to me the idea that taxation is a form of extortion, and um, it's it's it seems to me to be just immoral. I, I I don't understand how. I still don't quite understand how it can be justified to to you know to force people to. To, to, to pay money or you know that they their own money or and I don't understand how how it can be justified to uh, get someone else to do something that you don't have the right to do I don't I don't understand that well right and I and even I agree with that and the the Venus Project design for example does not advocate like a um, an income you know, like redistribution it's a question of like designing society so that that situation doesn't really come up in the first place. We can get into that some other time, but as far as I need he, to revisit that, I need to revisit, revisit that. I haven't seen that for a long time. This is the Venus Project, right? Uh, I'll be happy you, to. Would you recommend that? Is that, that where you're at? That's where I'm at. Yeah, definitely. Right. Um, and it's just about so what, what would I do to re, to re, to remind myself what's um, the best uh, film to see, watch about it, or book to read? I would definitely. I mean, you could read Jacques Fresco's book. That would be great if you're a reader. Um, uh, it's called The Best That Money Can't Buy. I'll definitely give you these links when we're off the air. Um, and then there are a lot of movies about it, but honestly, the one I suggest is the one you can get for free on Vimeo called Welcome to the Future. It's much older, but it definitely just kind of hits on the, the direct points about how Fresco would suggest society be designed, um, but without anything else. Like, there's no conspiracy theory stuff going on in it. There's no other things that are not really necessarily relevant um, just a, an honest assessment right. of our current situation and his ideas for how to fix it. Um, but yeah, definitely, um, as far as the issue with taxation and theft and all that is that w- what scares me the most about anarcho-capitalists is that I, because I was a minarchist, which was very close to that when I was in the Libertarian yeah. Party, and I one of the things that turned me away from it, ironically, was I started to study very closely the beliefs of some of the people that they hold very dear, like Ayn Rand. I don't right. know how much exposure you've had to that person. I haven't but had. I have heard of it, but I haven't. I haven't really studied it. Basically, I know it's controversial. Ayn Rand came from the communist Russia, and as a result, had a very, like you know, direct 180 uh, response. Like she hated all things communist. And she wrote a lot of very influential books 
like Atlas Shrugged. You know, her, her big thing contribution was that she wrote fiction that she was using to try to, to make a point about reality. Right. And generally when you study her stuff, you know, it initially starts off with very, um, you, know, be, you know, be free, don't let anybody stop you from being free, et cetera, et cetera, which, which is what reels you in. And then when you start to study it further, you start to figure out that it gets to the point where it's a little more destructive. Like she, for example, is one of the people who agrees to the non-aggression principle and not using violence, yet for some reason makes exceptions to this when you study it a little closer. Like, for example, she justified the slaughter of the Native Americans to take their land because after all, you know, they were too primitive to understand what property rights were and therefore they had no right to the land. So uh, oh the white goodness. man was justified in, you know, yeah, I, I wish I was paraphrasing. <laughs> this is That's exactly terrible. what she said during a, uh, an address to the cadets at West Point, quite ironically, was that, you know, the United States was completely justified in killing the Native Americans to take their stuff because they weren't, you know, they weren't being, uh, how does she put it, productive with it. It was a whole dark side to that thing, and they don't really want to talk about that when you bring it up. They don't want right. to discuss that their big guru of freedom is like that. And then and, and also, um, her belief structure called objectivism uh, states that selfishness is a virtue, and that altruism or uh, compassion, these things are actually immoral in her world. Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. dear. And that's... It, once, that's terrible. Well, I know. And it basically, I, when I started to read between the lines and, and looked very closely, I was like, okay, this lady's freaking nuts. You know? And then when you study the way that her philosophy actually played out in her actual life... Oh, right. Um, you know, for example, she was very... You know, like, she has an affair on her husband, and she has her this affair with one of her prodigies, and she's like, well, it's completely rational. You know, we should do what's right for us, and we enjoy ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. And then so many years down the line, this prodigy finds a young lady that she, he finds attractive and has an affair of his own, you know, because after all, that's what's right for him. Right. Finds out about it, calls him out in front of her little group, smacks him across the face, you know, right. like, you know and then excommunicates him from, from their oh, little yeah. that's supposedly not a collective. Wow. Wow, that's awful. Well, right, and that's, it, that's the personification. I mean, yeah. When you read a lot of her stuff, especially when it talks about things like... Um, it, it, this is the weird thing about it, I think. You know, I don't want to... We definitely talk more about this, but we're almost done with this particular segment. But the thing that scares me the most about her is that, you know, when you look at all of Alex Jones' theories about the elite coming together and depopulating the planet and taking it over and all that other jazz... It jives a lot more with the way Ayn Rand essentially programs people to think. Um, right. And a lot of very, uh, very prominent people on this earth, for example, Paul Ryan, uh, the vice presidential candidate with Romney, is a big Ayn Rand fan. Right. Uh, former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan, was oh actually a personal friend of her, of her. Oh, my God. Like part of her inner circle, you know, oh and... So then you read her book, Atlas Shrugged, and, and Atlas Shrugged, basically all the rich people get together, and then they, they form this little private um, uh, community to get away from the world because they're taxing them, and, you know, and workers seem to think that they should have rights. So right. you know, we need to go off to this private gulch. It's called Gulch Gulch, 
And in this place, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna we're gonna use technology to hide it so nobody can find it. And then we're gonna intentionally sabotage the infrastructure of the planet to cause massive starvation um, and chaos and violence, so that these people will finally realize that they have been bad to us and that, you know. <laughs> It's, you know, it's, that's why I was like, wait a minute, this is the, the Alex Jones endgame, you know, <laughs> I was like, you know, wow. these, the supposedly the kings of capitalism are the ones that are pulling about the Alex Jones endgame, not the, the socialists who hardly exist anymore in any, you know, powerful fashion or, you know, none of those people are, are doing this. And that's, right. that was kind of how I came full circle about it. And so many of these people are so wrought up into her that they allow themselves to, I mean, like, how can you quote a person who justifies the slaughter of the Native Americans and then wow. be talking about freedom and, you know, and peace and all that? And that's, she's only one of those thinkers. There's many more where that came from. But, you know, for sure, uh, look into it because it's kind of scary to me, particularly when you consider that there's a whole freedom movement uh, based around her work that I don't think really realizes that if they're really concerned about an elite, you know, stepping up and taking over the world, they probably should be looking a little closer to their own backyard. Right. But, right. Um, Danny, can you do me a favor and yeah, tell sure. the listeners where they can find your stuff? Uh, yeah, um, I've just recently changed the name of my channel from Spiritual Entertainer, which they can probably still find, to Social Experimentalist. Um, I deliberately took the words spiritual out of it because uh, I think that has a negative connotation to some people, right. which is a bit weird, but there you go. Um, and um, so that's really the main place where they can find what I do. They can find me on Facebook, I suppose, under Danny Shine, although I need to probably change that because I've got ma I'm maxed out with friends, not real friends, of course. Right. <laughs> I don't have any of those. Um, and yeah, that's, that's it pretty much, I think. Well, excellent. I want to be sure that obviously people get an opportunity to be exposed to your work. There's definitely, like I said in our first um, interview, like uh, a friend of mine named Aaron Moritz uh, made a video called Capitalism Epic Fail. And he took one of the early Love Police quotes of you with your megaphone, I want to say standing in front of a library maybe, and right. you know, like, yeah. go back to your jobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you don't have a job, you're a worthless human being. Consume, consume, consume until there's nothing left to consume. Right. That was, that was definitely a, a textbook, like, you know, example of, of waking people up in a way that I think is something that our society definitely needs. So mm -hmm. please continue doing the work that Thank you're doing. You. Thank you. Lovely chatting to you. Let's talk again soon. Absolutely. And I'll drop the, the links to that information you requested in your Skype after we're off. So, Great. Thank you. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. Welcome to, once again, listening to V Radio. If this is your first time checking out my show, please go to my website, v-radio.org. There you can find archives of more shows like this one, my must-see TV list of free documentaries that you can watch on the Internet that I think are kind of vital to understanding the direction of the world. Um, and if you liked what you heard, please consider a donation, which you can find at the Donate tab um, on the website. And thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Until next time, um, remember we have more shows lined up, and I gave that list at the beginning of the broadcast. Take care. <laughs>